Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled Showing Gratitude to the Dharma by Marcus Casey. Sometimes, when things seem bleak, the best antidote is to practice gratitude. In this talk, we talk about what we love about the Dharma. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Teksum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you all for coming today. My name is Marcus Casey, and uh, I'm one of the senior meditation instructors here at Columbus KTC. Um, We're going to talk a lot today about gratitude and uh, gratitude toward the Dharma. And before we get started with that, I just wanted to mention, for those of you who have been coming for a long, long time, as, uh, as, as sad as we all were to see the old building burn down, and as fondly as we remember that old building, on days like today, (laughs) Um, someone had to show up super early in the morning to raise the thermostat. And even then that heater didn't stand a chance against a day like this in that drafty building. And then also when you entered the building, the shoe rack was right there and it was a carpeted floor and carpeted stairs. So you're taking your shoes off where everyone else has tracked snow. And so you're like standing in your sock feet in, in melting snow. And so you always had wet feet in this cold, drafty building. And so I would like to uh, express my gratitude for this wonderful building we have today. Um, days like this, it's, it's, it's uh, even, even uh, just more wonderful to look back and think about what, where we, what we have compared to... Uh, to what we had before. So, um, yeah, do you ever find the world to be discouraging, like sometimes more than others? Um, just, you know, the news, personal circumstances, whatever it is, things just get really discouraging. And when that happens, optimism can really seem impossible. I saw a video recently of an interview with Mike, with Michael J. Fox, or yeah, Michael J. Fox. And uh, he had a, I mean, I'm sure many of you know who he is. He had a very successful acting career that was interrupted by uh, Parkinson's disease. And he said in this interview, gratitude is what makes optimism sustainable. Gratitude makes optimism sustainable. And that just really hit me. And, and you could tell he was speaking from a place of personal experience. And it was very, very powerful. So, uh, you know, what's a good way to keep from being discouraged? To keep faith 
in our, in our practice, in our task to free infinite beings from suffering, um, the more we focus on gratitude, the easier it is to remain optimistic. And you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds a lot like lojong, like our mind training that we do, right? Um, where we, we have antidotes to certain mental afflictions. Um, and this is saying, when you start to feel discouraged, practice gratitude. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the current trend of keeping a, some sort of gratitude journal or having a gratitude practice as part of one's daily routine. So today I thought I would follow a similar kind of theme and uh, list many things I'm thankful for about the Dharma. And I didn't try to think of everything because I left some for you guys. So we're all going to participate. <laughs> um, and there isn't time to think of everything. I just really went through and as things came to me, I listed them out. And um, so this isn't an exhaustive list in any way. Uh, but I do want to leave some time for you guys to, uh, to chime in as well. And so um, I'm warning you now. I will wait an uncomfortable amount of time if no one goes up to the microphone. <laughs> Normally, I would let you off the hook after a, a, a very short wait, but I want, I want to hear what uh, people have to say from their own personal experiences. All right. So before we begin, let's go ahead as, as with our tradition and say the four-line refuge prayer. Um, where we're repeating our commitment to take refuge in the Buddha uh, or the goal, what we aspire to, the Dharma or the path, and the Sangha, our guides and companions on the path. And it's this, this small prayer on the laminated sheets you have. We'll say it, uh, let's say it English first, Tibetan the second time, and back to English the third time. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. Sanje chidang soki chognam la, jang chu pardu dagni kapsuchi. Dagi jin so ki pe sunam ki dro la pen cheer sangje In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. All right, so here's how things are gonna work. First of all, let's have fun with this. It's the second Sunday of the new lunar year and Losar technically lasts 15 days. Um, so this is still Losar and let's make this a joyful thing. 
Uh, we don't want to fall into the temptation to compare the Dharma with beliefs of others or the beliefs we grew up with or, or something like that. Ultimately, the Dharma is truth wherever it is found. And we're going to really keep this very positive. And the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to start all of these with I love. I love how faith is presented in the Dharma. The Buddha encouraged his followers to test out his teachings for themselves, not to rely exclusively on what he told them or to put blind faith in a teacher or a tenet. One popular Buddha quote from the sutras goes, O monks, just as, gold, uh, as a goldsmith tests gold by rubbing, burning, and cutting before buying it, so too you should examine my words before accepting them and not just out of respect for me. So the Buddhist idea of faith is not just adhering to a, a set of beliefs, it's more akin to confidence and trust. Um, you trust to the degree you are able. And if something is a step too far for you, you might be encouraged to, in Lama Kathy's words, entertain the notion um, enough to, to you know, practice to see if that works for you. But the idea is that by gradually following the teachings, you will develop confidence because you will learn to see how your experience matches the teachings. And you develop the faith by seeing the results of the teachings in your own life. Uh, in, in one of Bokar Rinpoche's books, he gives the example of a doctor. And he says that a sick person needs to find a doctor. Based on the reputation of a certain doctor, the sick person goes to see that doctor. The doctor makes a diagnosis, gives a prescription, and the patient gets better. So the next time the person gets sick, they're going to have more confidence that this doctor will be able to treat them. The next time they go, they will already have experience from the previous time. And that's the way it works with our practices and with our teachers. Um, all beings in samsara are similar to sick people. The Dharma is comparable to the treatment. And the master who teaches the Dharma is the physician. And just as you have to take medicine for a while, you have to practice the Dharma for a while to realize what it can bring us. If you just hear it and receive it once, it won't be su sufficient. Um, and, and he says that would be like receiving the treatment, but not applying it. Practicing the Dharma is certain to benefit us but the effect is always gradual. You gain confidence through results in your practice, but make sure you are not expecting instant results. And I would add, make sure you understand what the results you're looking for are. Um, if, if you go into it looking for your entire world to change and suddenly your finances are going to resolve themselves and your, your uh, toxic work environment is going to resolve itself, things like that. Um, make sure you understand what it is you're practicing and what it is you're, you're looking for. If you find yourself becoming um, more 
having an awareness of the, the state of your mind, of having kind of a, uh, the ability to, to look at your mind and notice when it's starting to spin out of control, just that little bit of awareness that you've developed in, in calm abiding meditation. If you notice the increase in compassion that you have for others, um, especially those who aren't close to you, but maybe those who are at a further distance, if you notice that increase in compassion um, and you've been practicing the compassion techniques, things like that, that's, that's, that's what we're looking for here. And as you start to notice that, you start to gain confidence in these teachings that, you know, I can trust this teacher and keep, keep learning uh, more techniques because um, that's, that's the way faith works in our tradition. By seeking and receiving the teachings and above all through practice, confidence and trust are born. I love how the Dharma has such a strong, clear anchor for determining ethics and virtue, while at the same time that very anchor allows for personalized, situationally appropriate flexibility. Buddhist ethics isn't a list of do's and don'ts, and it isn't a do-what-you-feel-like, wishy-washy thing either, right? It is so very simple. Avoid doing what is harmful and instead do what is helpful. By so focusing on the suffering of sentient beings, the ethics become clear. Avoid contributing to that suffering and attempt to relieve that suffering. Of course, working that into our personal lives can be difficult. I'm not saying it isn't. But we have a guiding principle that allows us to always work from a place of love and compassion rather than legalistic rules. And these ethics take into account the interconnectedness of life. I love that virtue is not determined by how Buddhist something is. It isn't limited to where the teachings came from. Virtue is about whether or how much it benefits beings. I love how the Buddha Dharma shows you the goal, the view it's often called, but also clearly explains the paths and methods. It is said that the Buddha taught 84,000 methods for people to overcome their suffering. Columbus KTC has taught meditation practically every Sunday for decades. We've offered that for free uh, to the community. And in that class, we teach how to sit, how to breathe, what to do with your eyes, your tongue, your hands. And then you can work with a teacher to figure out the best practices for you, your mind, and your abilities at all steps along the way. The Buddha Dharma doesn't just say, practice compassion or be like the Buddha. We're taught methods for generating compassion. We're taught methods for training our mind. We're taught methods for loosening the grip of selfishness. We are taught methods that allow us to step outside the whirlwind of our thoughts and emotions and have an awareness that notices when we get hooked by something that will cause suffering. And we will not exhaust these methods, certainly not in this lifetime. The Dharma shows us the goal, and then it shows us how to get there. 
I love how simple the Dharma is. There's a simplicity in the Dharma. Notice that I don't say that it's easy, but we all experience interconnectedness in our daily lives and see how our actions affect others. We all have Buddha nature, so we all have an innate sense that compassion and love toward other beings is the right thing to do. And Buddhism works with our minds. And as the teachings of the Buddhist masters are explained to us, we can see from our own experience how this lines up, how that lines up with this ancient timeless teaching. Some people tend to overlook Buddhism because they think it's too obvious, as a matter of fact, too much common sense. But the trick is in using what is taught to overcome our selfishness, to reduce the suffering of ourselves and others. Simple, but not easy. I love how inexhaustibly deep the Dharma is. As simple as the core principles of Buddhism are, the depth is unfathomable. As one who is not enlightened, I cannot conceive of someone who rests completely in the natural state. And yet those who do have taught and written to try to guide us toward that which is inexpressible. I am forever awed by these teachings. I love that the Dharma does not just ask us to trust what was said long ago, but that we have clear, living, breathing examples of enlightenment that have taught on this very property here in Columbus, Ohio. We have had bodhisattvas, people who have attained enlightenment in this very lifetime, right here on the corner of Rich and Grub Street. The wealth of enlightened masters in the lineage that uh, we ourselves are part of is breathtaking. I love how once you have seen the validity of the worldview, you will never stop being challenged. I mentioned that there is a simplicity to the way Buddhism views the world, but it is a challenging simplicity. You begin to question your motivation at every turn. You begin to see suffering everywhere. You begin to see the causes of suffering everywhere, including in your own life and your own habits. And if you take the Bodhisattva vow, you vow not to rest until there is no more suffering left in the universe. You commit to uproot your own self-clinging that seems so fundamental to existence. And you start to see that self-clinging, that self-clinging in every thought you have, every choice you make, and in every word you speak. The Dharma says to us, look around. What you've been doing to this point isn't working. Here's the fundamental shift you need to make. I love the orientation around two principles, compassion and wisdom. They are called two wings of the bird, and you need both to fly. The compassion keeps us grounded in our relative existence, where we see the suffering of ourselves and all the beings around us. The wisdom side shows our fundamental mistakes that we have made about the nature of ourselves and reality, mistakes that lead us 
to the clinging that causes our suffering. And understanding the role of that ego clinging in all of our suffering alone proves to me to be worth, to be the worth of the Buddha Dharma a thousand times over. I love that the Dharma challenges us to show compassion toward the oppressor as well as the oppressed. I'll just let that one hang there for a minute without any further elaboration. I love that we are in charge of our own progress. We aren't trying to appease someone or, or some being whose commands we may or may not have been correctly uh, interpreting. Instead, it is our own mental habits and errors that keep us on a path of suffering, and it will be the uprooting of these that will bring us to freedom. And yet, I love that there is guidance and grace available that we can connect to. There are those who have gone before who are not still afflicted by the obscurations that cloud our view. And they listen when we call out to them and they can guide us away from the paths that lead to more suffering. And everyone who comes to the Dharma engage, and engages with these teachings and calls for help from the vast number of teachers who have gone before can receive that grace and guidance. And, and I think this is surprising to some people. Uh, you know, they say, grace in Buddhism? Um, and I think the question Lama Kathy often asks is, do you believe that with enlightenment comes a fundamental shift? And, and if you do, then it's easier, I think, to accept that those who are enlightened then have the ability to, uh, to help others, even in ways that we don't really understand. Um, particularly in the Vajrayana, the relationship to a teacher is very important. The recognition of the ultimate nature of the mind is made possible by the grace of a teacher who is endowed with deep realization. Bokar Rinpoche says that this grace is non-material and indivisible. It is like a force or an extremely strong current under the influence of which we place ourselves through our trust and devotion. And in the West, grace often means receiving something that we don't deserve. And the concept here is similar in some ways. The blessings or grace from a teacher gives us a boost, makes things a little cleaner, clearer, and the nature of our minds less obstructed. Due to our connection with an accomplished teacher, the great teacher's karma and great aspiration of beings becomes a benefit for us as well. And I know some people trip over that word grace, and a lot of times we use the word blessings instead of grace. And one way to approach this concept, if it's difficult for you, is to consider that these enlightened beings, though they began like we are, um, they, they have access, <laughs> it's hard, it's difficult to say, they, they are not gone. 
in the way that we think of um, someone who is dying being gone. Um, they continue to benefit beings. And beginning to, and they continue to have an impact on others. So what we're saying when we talk about grace or blessings from an enlightened teacher is the idea that it's possible for them to impact another person from within. When we are in the presence of, enlightened, of an enlightened teacher, we often feel inspired and uplifted. People who are often uplifted who have no Dharma practice or connection to Buddhism, in some ways it is as though there is some outside agency some source outside ourselves that activates our own Buddha nature. And Lama Kathy gives the example of two tuning forks. When you strike one tuning fork and hold it up to the, to the other tuning fork, if they're the same frequency, the second tuning fork begins to sympathetically vibrate with the first. Our Buddha nature responds to the enlightened beings in this way, especially when we are a when we approach the enlightened person with respect or devotion. Devotion is another difficult word, but the Tibetan word we translate as devotion is made up of two words, which mean enthusiasm and the other, which means respect. So devotion is an enthusiastic respect. And when we approach a teacher with enthusiastic respect, then our own Buddha nature responds. Um, this response probably comes both from outside ourselves and from within. And the last Kalu Rinpoche said that the teacher's compassion for us is like a hook and our devotion and respect is like a ring. And when the two meet, then the hook of their compassion meets the ring of our devotion and the teacher can lead us. And he says, from happiness to happiness and then to awakening we turn toward them and what they are is reflected in what we are. I love that the Dharma tells us that we are ultimately perfect and that we just need to uncover our true nature. Our ego fixation and all the issues that follow from us, from it, are not an indication that we are fundamentally broken. We have clouded vision, but our nature is pure, luminous emptiness. And although there are clouds covering our nature, one day those clouds will part and the true nature will shine through. I love that the Dharma teaches us that we can do it. We can and will become enlightened. This isn't something only attainable by a few rare beings who are made of different stuff somehow than we are. We have so many examples of very human people who have developed their virtues and diligently practiced according to their teacher's instructions and who have realized their true nature. I love that the Dharma is so vast that it can reach each of us where we are. All of our minds are unique. We have different obscurations, different neuroses, and yet there are methods and benefits for each of us, no matter what we need or what we are looking for. 
I mentioned that Columbus KTC has been teaching meditation uh, for several decades every Sunday. We have had so many people that come through our doors and they aren't all looking to become Buddhist. Some are just seeking a way to quiet their minds and we are more than happy to meet them where they are and hopefully give them what they're looking for. I love that there are not strict doctrinal orthodoxies to which everyone must agree in order to be part of the community. We have welcomed people with all different beliefs and opinions, and we always will. I love the rich tradition of millions who have gone before and offered insight that we can draw from today. It amazes me to consider that while so much of the world was, was at least our, the world that we, most of us come from and read about in our history books, um, while most of that world was working to advance our understanding of the natural world and the ways to harness its resources in our service, there were equally diligent enclaves in the world where communities focused on understanding more and more about the mind. In many ways, there was a type of scientific discovery into the nature of the mind going on in monasteries and caves. And those findings were passed along. And now their discoveries are not limited to these secluded enclaves, but are available to the world. I also love that Buddhists are not insecure in the face of scientific discovery. His Holiness the Dalai Lama has been asked what would happen if science uh, disproved any of Buddhism's teachings. And he's answered that we would have to adjust our teachings. He's also said, with the ever-growing impact of science on our lives, religion and spirituality have a greater role to play, reminding us of our humanity there is no contradiction between the two. Each gives valuable insights into the other. Both science and the teachings of the Buddha tell us of the fundamental unity of all things. I touched on this earlier, but I love that we can meet people as who they are and look to benefit in any, them in any way they need without the pressure of trying to convert them or make them into some way that we want them to be. There's no need for a sales pitch. I'm not good at sales anyway. <laughs> um, but if we go into an interaction with someone, especially with someone who is suffering, and we have an agenda that we're trying to push, it is difficult to be open to hearing what it is that they need. Um, and, and people who are suffering are often vulnerable. We aren't trying to gain anything from them. That would be taking advantage of them, exploiting them. We really do just want to help them in any way that we can. I kind of think about, you know, my kids, my, my oldest two are, are starting to consider college and careers and and things like that. And, uh, and I, I think of my kids, you know, if, if I had one vision for who they should be, 
if if I said, you know, this one should be a doctor and this one should should go into mathematics or something and I had that vision and then they come to me and they want to go into the arts or or humanities or or, or acting or or whatever it is. And and I shunned them for that because no, you're not following my vision. What is it I love? Do I love them or do I just love my vision of them? And I think if you're approaching someone with an idea of who you want them to be and how you want them to respond, um, especially someone who comes to you with suffering, you know, you're not, you're, you're loving something about yourself projected onto them rather than, than loving them where they are. And I really um, love that, that the Dharma has the openness to people um, that, that we can meet people where they are, and it teaches us to do that. I love that the Dharma recognizes the suffering of all living sentient beings. Um, you know, having been steeped in this community for a while, I marvel at how indifferent our society can be toward the suffering of, of animals or can care about the suffering of some animals but not others. Um, Buddhism teaches us that suffering is suffering wherever it is found. I love that developing tenderheartedness is of major importance. We are taught to stay tender and vulnerable toward the suffering that we see. We do not value becoming hardened, callous, or cynical. When we can move beyond the fear and insecurity that causes us to go into self-protection mode, we can be open to the needs of others. And finally, I love spending time with the Sangha. I love you all. I've met so many wonderful, beautiful, open people in this community. And uh, I'm very appreciative of those who have taught, whom I've learned from, who are here all the time, who are volunteering, who are making this community possible. And so, I love you all. So now it's your turn. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed my little ode to Buddhism, but this is not the end of the list. I just wrote things down as they came to mind. So now I want to hear from you. What do you love about the Dharma? What are you grateful for? What has it helped you with? Um, you know, what comes to mind? And you don't have to go on and on like I do. You can keep it as short or as long as you want to. Uh, we have microphones on both sides of the room, so feel free to come up. Well, every Sunday, Nelson and I have been going to One Line Coffee before we come here. And we've been able to walk there, which is really nice. And we were all invited. But uh, so this morning, this, uh, the music they were playing, sometimes it gets a little overwhelming, but this morning they were playing um, 
the song about California dreaming, and mm. there I was sitting, looking out at the cottonwood tree, singing right along. Oh, I was mm. delighted. And uh, then, uh, just before we left, I think it was Joni Mitchell who did um, Clouds. Mm. Is that Joni Mitchell? Mm -hmm. I think so, yeah. I have always been so frustrated with that song. <laughs> <laughs> and just, I didn't, you know, looking at Clouds, and all of a sudden I understood exactly what she meant. I, mm. It just came like a wave mm. about the nature of illusion. Mm. And I was very grateful for that. Very nice. Thank you. Yeah, I, I got to pondering the nature of, of illusion recently when I, uh, I had a very, very vivid dream. And it was a dream that just had all kinds of emotions that stuck with me after that dream. And I thought, if something that is that unreal can inspire those emotions that feel that real. Maybe those emotions aren't nearly as real as I give them credit for. <laughs> Maybe in real life, those emotions are, are just as illusory as they were after that dream. I have never stood up and spoken here. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Um, I love gratefulness so much. Um, mm. And I could probably give a speech as long as yours about what I'm grateful <laughs> for, for with we the Dharma. Um, but I love that the Dharma is both universal and personal. Mm. Um, mm. I love that. Whew, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, just us. I know. Um, <laughs> I love that the Dharma um, approaches death and talks about death um, and uses mm -hmm. it as a universal teacher. Mm -hmm. um, I love the bard, the bardos. I love how it's always um, a part of teaching us about the value of life and the preciousness mm -hmm. of our lives mm -hmm. and each moment of our lives. Um, I love that. I don't know how many times I've sat in here and one of one of the teachers have said, every single moment you have a choice, mm. and in every moment you can choose to change your life and mm -hmm. how powerful that teaching can be. Mm -hmm. um, and I love all of the teachers. I think all of the things that you say are profound and simple. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I love the people I've met as well. Mm. Um, I'm not the most social person and I'm love that there's no pressure when you walk in, mm -hmm. uh, that you can come in and you can just be, and mm -hmm. you're left to be. Mm -hmm. And I love the silence and the, the peace that I find in silent meditation. Mm -hmm. Thank you very Thank much. You. Yeah, wow, there's so much there. So much there. Um, I, I think it's really common for people who come the first time to just say, this place feels good. Right? There's, there's so much, so much meditation and practice that's gone on here, so much compassion, the, the teachers that have been here. And I, you know, after the building burned, there was a lot of, well, we could buy someplace else and have a, a building ready made. And, and, uh, and there was, you know, there were votes taken and, and, uh, feedback sought 
And so many people just felt like this place has the energy of, of decades of practice and teaching and, and most, and a lot of people just wanted to, to uh, stay here and rebuild um, in some ways for that very thing. And what you said about death too, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a, it's not afraid to confront us with the reality of death, but not in a way that's supposed, that's morbid or, or, or anything, but in a way that reminds us about the preciousness of our lives and how to, how to use every moment in our lives. So yeah, thank you. Excellent. Michael. <laughs> um, I feel so much gratitude for refuge mm. and there's times in life when maybe when you're consuming too much news and uh, all the tragedy and war and everything else that's going on in the world can feel like a, a heavy pressure mm -hmm. and sometimes in those moments it's sort of like a refuge pops into my mind mm. and I'm reminded that I'm not taking refuge in the samsaric world. I'm not looking for peace mm. in the chaos and suffering that's impossible to truly rectify in the samsaric world. Mm -hmm. That I'm looking for that in the Dharma, mm -hmm. in the Three Jewels. And the really beautiful thing about it is it doesn't, um, doesn't rob you of your compassion for those things. Right. You still feel compassion for all the suffering in the world, but I feel refuge sort of um, provides a, a foundation and a scaffolding to hold you up mm -hmm. uh, to deal with those things mm -hmm. uh, in a mindful way and uh, uh, maybe ha with a little bit of wisdom uh, mm -hmm. when you confront those things. Yeah, yeah, very well said, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I 100% uh, identify with what you're talking about. It can seem so overwhelming. Um, there seems to be so much wrong. And, and yet to understand that everything you're seeing is impermanent and will come to an end, including ourselves, um, but that there is a, a, an anchor in the three jewels that is there for us to take refuge in that will not change and will not let us down. Um, whereas anything material, anything that we try to accomplish um, will let us down in some way. Um, our bodies themselves will let us down. Um, yeah, but but that there's something beyond that that we can always take refuge in. That's perfect. All right, who's next? Be great to have more first timers. <laughs> yes, thank you. Hi. Hi. Hi, I'm Marion Mayer. Um, so I guess I was gonna say one thing the Dharma's taught me is this, I mean, several, I feel like I have these skills in my pocket and uh, one is bodhicitta, like this, mm. I heard a teacher a um, long time ago say, like you go down the mountain of self and up the mountain of others, of everyone, mm. right? And um, 
that we're here for not just for ourselves, but mm. like to benefit others. Mm -hmm. And that gives my life more purpose. Mm -hmm. And it also makes difficult times. You mm -hmm. have a daughter and yesterday she was sick and I wanted to go out and we were going to go to the art museum. We're going to go mm. in the snow. We're going to do all this mm. stuff. And she didn't want to do any of it. And it mm -hmm. was like, uh, body cheetah, you know, <laughs> like, and, uh, and, uh, just reminding, you know, okay, I'm here for her, not yeah. just for me. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing was impermanence, right? That it's whatever bad feeling is happening, it's, mm -hmm. it's going to end, mm -hmm. you know? And that, but the thing that I would just say with Lama Kathy and, and you all is this authenticity that I've gotten mm. in this recent mm. like year or so is that like I can have all those tools and still be really frustrated and mm -hmm. be like, okay, well, this is where I am. My capacity is that I'm not mm -hmm. yet a Buddha. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm super frustrated. And mm -hmm. just to be where I am and to not be judgmental right, right. because it's also sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, impermanent. It's mm -hmm. just whatever's right. going on. So that something I feel like a gift of this particular temple mm. and this mm. particular oh, yeah. bunch of Dharma teachers that I really appreciate this, like, it's okay to be where you are, that we're not, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. that we may have these tools, but we're still struggling right. sometimes. Right. So, right. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see these wonderful beings and, and the statue and, you know, we're inspired by them. Um, and that's our aspiration. Um, but we are where we are and we start where we are and we work with that where we are and we are very human and, and we work with our bodhicitta and our bodhicitta is sometimes that really gritty grit your teeth and do what has to be done kind of kind of thing, you know, where where it's tough. I have kids. <laughs> I've got three kids. And it's it's sometimes really, really uh really difficult. Um but yeah, the 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 teachings I, I said I, I love how challenging it is because it challenges us at every moment. Um when you remember your your vows and you remember the teachings and how that can uh, can conflict with what seems easy or, or um, with the emotions that come naturally and and it's it's a constant work it's it's uh, yeah I love that yeah thank you and the authenticity wow the um, I had been going to a Buddhist center in another city uh, before I moved back to Columbus. And, and we're talking 14 plus years ago, but, um, but I had started going to a Buddhist center there. And so when I was coming to Columbus, I, I looked up to see what I could find. And I found this place online and I thought, wow, that looks like a, you know, a nice community, you know, their own building. We were, I was in a living room um, where I was and, and that kind of thing. I mean, that, wow, this is, this is nice, their own building and everything. And the first Sunday I came and Lama Kathy was teaching and I just sat there uh, just awed by, I mean, you could tell this was a person who had, had practiced the teachings, who had been, um, you know, steeped in them. And at the same time, 
it was a person you could relate to, you know. It was, at the same time, Lama Kathy is so accessible. And, and uh, it was just such a, I mean, I was, I was astounded from the very first time I walked in. I knew I had found uh, the right place. And so that was, like I said, more than 14 years ago. So, yeah, it's a wonderful place. All right. Got more? Ten. Thank you, Mary. Morning. Um, afternoon. Uh, well, I've been at this off and on for many decades, and uh, so I could go on and on about various things that go through my brain. But um, the thing that um, probably is the central feature of it is... Uh, the opening verse from the Dhammapada that Lama Kathy likes to mm. quote, and that is, we are what we think, all that we are rises with our thoughts, with our thoughts we make the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, everything else sort of feeds into that. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and you know, <laughs> when you say the world, you know, you, you, the first thing you think of is the whole earth, you know, and I go, nah, I, I, I can't manage that. <laughs> but it's like this, it feels like a bubble, you know, in my, around me, you know, that I'm going around and that's my world, you know, and I'm, I'm making it whatever mm -hmm. I manage to make it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, all the teachings and the practices all seem to be, you know, helping me make that world really comfortable and uh, mm -hmm. uh, worthwhile. Mm -hmm. um, so um, then the second part of my, uh, talk here today <laughs> is thanking you very much for um, the effort that you put into uh, your talks here and uh, Thank you. Um, being one of the volunteers. And as I was sitting there thinking about um, the, the, the ongoing effort to recruit volunteers here, it, it occurred to me that that is um, uh, the Mahayana you know, doing things for the benefit of others. Mm -hmm. So if we're volunteering here, mm -hmm. that is kind of the, the expression of that, mm -hmm. uh, of our in, in involvement in that teaching. So, right, right. So I think we might want to emphasize that a little more. It's not just doing some work, it's for the benefit of everybody. Right, you know? right. Yeah, yeah, taking that gratitude we have for what we've received here. Yeah. And turning around and, and keeping yeah. this place going for others. Yeah, too. yeah. yeah. You know, sometimes I think, you know, wh why do I, why can't I just sit down at home and, and meditate for an hour and, and be done with it, you know, and not have to drive and all that. But there's just, this is just so refreshing to come mm -hmm. here, you know, and so thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yes, good. Uh, my name is Chaz. This is my first time at the center. All right. um, Welcome. Thanks. Um, yeah, and I, I think that I'm really grateful for just the way that different paths tend to unfold. Because um, mm -hmm. I think it's always, it, it, throughout my life, um, it's always been a kind of like funny occurrence. Like, I'll be you know, at something, hammering away at some sort of like spiritual path or idea really hard and and then it'll show up in uh, like the least expected way. Mm. Um, 
Mm. And I think there's a lot of like really intense energies at play, but I, I think it's always kind of nice because it's, you know, I'm, I'm fine that I'm pushing myself and then, and then something clicks and then it's like, oh, okay. It was right there the whole <laughs> yeah, time under yeah, my ass. So yeah. yeah, I'm just grateful for, I guess, how it, the Dharma can be kind of funny sometimes like yeah, that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an adventure, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> Hi, good afternoon. Hello. Um, my name's Mindy, first time caller. Um, I would like to uh, express my gratitude uh, for the Dharma as a path for those of us in long term recovery mm. or for those of us who are new in recovery, mm. especially in the sense of trying to keep, you know, loving kindness and compassion mm. as the forefront, mm -hmm. you know, other places can shame or blame mm -hmm. if we make mistakes and knowing that everything here is based in compassion mm -hmm. and support is great. So mm -hmm. it's, I've been in recovery for a while, thank goodness, but it's interesting to see kind of the new literature and the new talks and all the new information coming out as far as Buddhism and addiction. And I think mm -hmm. um, that in itself is going to help a tremendous amount of people. So, Absolutely. and thank you oh, yeah. for your words. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Yeah. We, we used to have a recovery group that met in our basement before the fire and they, they had to find a, another place um, when, when we lost our building. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a really it's it's an amazing thing when you approach someone and you can and you can tell that they're not judging, that they're really open to who you are. I mean, there's a refuge right there. There's a refuge you feel when you connect to someone that isn't uh, coming from a place of judgment and you can tell it and you can feel that authenticity. And uh, yeah, 100%, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh... again, we're not gonna, I'll talk a little bit about my background, just that the tradition I was from was afraid of doubts, right? Doubt was just a taboo thing. You didn't have doubts. Um, and there was a lot of, of judgment that came for that or for any kind of anything. And, um, and it's just so different and refreshing when you find um, that element not there. Yeah. Anyone else? All right. Thank you, guys. You, we had a lot of, lot of nice comments. We didn't have to sit in uncomfortable silence. So 
Um, you can grab your sheets again, the dedication of merit. And, uh, and let's all just uh, say this together in English. Basically, taking all the virtue, all the benefit that we've received from, from these teachings, um, from the moment we met them, and let's dedicate them to all beings. Let's dedicate all that merit, all those blessings, all that virtue, uh, that others may find this as well and may find uh, happiness and peace in the Dharma. By this merit, may all attain omniscience. May it defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death. From the ocean of samsara, may I free all beings. The courageous Manjushri, who knows everything as it is, Samantabhadra, who also knows in the same way, and all the bodhisattvas that I may follow in their path, I completely dedicate all this virtue. All right. Thank you very much. Enjoy the, the nice sunshine, and I think the spring weather's coming back tomorrow, so can't beat that. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.